This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Before we invite Nick to give us the sermon for today, may I invite our sister Lena to read for us the scriptures. Reading for this morning from Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 62. Uh, Please turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sieve all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without your purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, was one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, 
You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord looked, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of God. Good morning, friends. Uh, thanks for coming here. Uh, and thanks for making the time to, uh, to listen carefully to God's word. Uh, we need God's help so that we can understand. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, open your word to our hearts. Open our hearts to your word. For your glory, for our growth, in Jesus' name, Amen. My friends, what do you think about hypocrites? Oh, we don't like them. We don't like people who say or do things that doesn't match uh, who they are supposed to be. We distrust them. And because we distrust hypocrites so much, uh, we, we really grieve when we catch ourselves in hypocrisy. Now, this person I know who used to go to a church, I asked her, well, why don't you go to church anymore? And she said, because I feel like a hypocrite. I don't obey God. I don't read the Bible. Yeah, I still go to church and pretend that everything's okay. Now, friends, if that is what hypocrisy in church is, then we are all guilty. See, we have all sinned against God, yet we call ourselves Christians and we still go to church. So is there any hope for hypocrites like us? Well, that's what we're going to look at in our passage today. Yes, there is hypocrites. There is hope for hypocrites like us. And the solution is this, is Jesus' submission to the Father. So today we look at, we look at this passage in three, three parts. So we try to look at what our problem is, and then we look at God's solution, and we will think about why this solution is so good for us. So first, our problem. So last week we learned that Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples. So this is where he taught his disciples that he would sacrifice himself uh, on, on the cross for his disciples. And at this point in the, in the passage, Jesus is preparing his disciples for life after this sacrifice. And he showed that the problem is that they are so weak that they can't do it themselves. And they need help. They are weak and they need help. So they need help for strengthening. So verse 31, the help comes from Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift, you all, sift all of you as meat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Satan, the devil, has demanded, has insisted to God to sift all the disciples. So sifting is like someone shaking grain to separate the grain from the stock, from everything else. So first what they do is they harvest the grain, and then they collect all the grain together, and they, and they put it on top of a sieve and they shake the sieve and then all the grains are dropped down. Now what Jesus means is, well, just as this violent shaking separated the grains from the stock, Satan wanted to like, violently shake the disciples' faith so that 
Or maybe they even separate themselves from Jesus. Now this is very serious because if the disciples leave Jesus, then there will be no one to preach the, preach the gospel. And if they leave Jesus, then there's no more church. So what would prevent the disciples from being separated from Jesus? Our Jesus' solution was to pray. In verse 32, look, this is what he prayed for. So now he didn't pray for, uh, like to counter-pray the, the devil. So to pray that this thing will not happen. No. Verse 32, Jesus, Jesus prayed for Simon, who is also called Peter. He prayed that Peter's faith will not fail, so that he can strengthen his brothers. Now, Peter isn't perfect. You see, in verse 82, he tells us that Peter needs help. He needs help. For, Peter needs help before he can turn back to help the rest. Now, what kind of help is this? Now, Peter thinks that Jesus will misjudge his loyalties. Peter thought he'll never turn away. That's why Peter thinks he's the best person to help the disciples. Peter will stick with Jesus through thick and thin. So, verse 73. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus knew Peter would turn away. Verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day, or will not crow today, uh, until you deny me three times that you know me. Very specific. You see, Peter will deny Jesus three times, then the rooster will crow. And when will all this happen? This very day, today, the disciples, okay, so this was what it would look like. So the disciples will turn away, Peter will turn away, and then Peter somehow will get help. Peter turns back, and Peter will help the disciples. So Jesus will help his weak disciples through the weak Peter. Now this might not make sense to you because it's something like this. Imagine I want to set up a Tuition agency, because it's good money. Okay. But let's say I have this big advertisement at the front that says this. Best tutor. I failed English, failed maths, failed science, failed Chinese, but you can trust your children with me. Yeah. No student will join. Okay. No student will join. You never see this kind of advertisement. You always see oh, how great the teachers are, how clever they are. But this, in a sense, is what Jesus is is asking for from Peter. Like the failure, Peter, is going to help the disciples who fail. How can Peter help them? Well, let's hang on to this question. We'll answer this uh, by the end of today's passage. Okay, so let's look at the problem again. So first, our problem is that we are weak. Next, our problem is the world hates us. So in verse 35, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, do you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. So previously, Jesus sent his disciples out on mission to tell, tell others that Jesus was coming. So you can uh, turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 4, and I'll continue explaining. So Jesus will not bring anything because where they go, there will be someone there to welcome them, provide them food, provide them lodging. Okay, let me read from chapter 10, verse 4. Luke chapter 10, verse 4. When you uh, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. 
stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So in chapter 10, there will be welcomers welcoming the disciples who provide them food, provide them lodging as they preach the gospel. But now, things will be different. In chapter, two, uh, chapter 22, now there will be conflict. Chapter 22, verse 36. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. If, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, these items are needed. Purse, bag, and sword. What kind of situations will the disciples need these three items? Last week, during the March holidays, uh, I took the three kids uh, camping at East Coast Park. Okay, so we, uh, to prepare for, prepare for the trip, we had to make sure we had enough to stay overnight. So we brought a tent, we brought toiletries, uh, we made sure we have a portable fan because when you stay there, it's actually in the tent, it can be quite hot. And to make sure the, the fan has enough power, we brought a portable charger to last the night. So we prepared really well, except I brought a tent that was too small. And so the three kids and I, we had a very cozy night that night. My friends, we pack uh, based on what we expect to happen. So a purse, bag, and sword, what do these tell us about what's going to happen? They tell us there's going to be conflict, there's going to be danger. And these things give security. And the disciples need these things because the listeners will no longer provide for them food, lodging as they preach the gospel. Now, disciples, for example, need to use money to buy food. Maybe they need a bag to, to, for their supplies, to bring things along. Maybe a weapon for security, to hunt for food. Now, the point is, the disciples will face conflict from the world. The world will hate them. So as they preach the gospel, they cannot expect the world to give them anything. Now, why, why would the world hate them? See what Jesus says in verse 37. For those of us who are using the NIV, there's actually a word for or because at the start of verse 37. So I'll, I'll just add this in. So verse 37. For it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So Jesus quotes from a prophecy from the book of uh, Isaiah. We read this prophecy just now. This is 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would suffer and die, even though he's righteous, even though he's innocent. So the righteous Jesus, what he says there will be, verse 37 will be, lumped together, grouped together with the sinners and transgressors, and punished and executed. Friends, if the world, if the world persecutes the righteous Jesus, if the world calls injustice justice, then there's no justice in the world. Justice is overturned and the world will persecute. They will hate Jesus' innocent followers. So the world hates us because of Jesus' death. But the disciples don't get it. You see, Jesus has been using picture language to talk about what's going to happen. He wants his disciples to prepare for conflict. But his disciples don't get it. They don't understand. Verse 38, the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough. He replied. Now, two swords are not enough to defend Jesus and the eleven disciples. Okay, so, what's that? Uh, yeah, so 
Elliot will tell us that in, in army, we don't just train two people to hold the weapons in front, everyone hide behind. Okay, no, that's not what happens. Everybody is trained to use the weapon. So in this passage, right, two swords, that means two people can use weapons, and what about the rest of them? They can't do anything. Okay, and also bear in mind, right, what kind of occupations uh, the disciples come from. They are fishermen, tax collectors, Peter, James, and John, not Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen. Okay, so two swords are not enough to defend them. So Jesus doesn't intend for them to wage war against their listeners, against their listeners who hate them. But that might be what the disciples think would, would, would call or would defeat Jesus' enemies. Now, what will help the disciples understand Jesus? Well, again, we'll see this later on when the disciples actually use the swords. Well, what we see here is that the disciples' problems are, is that they were weak and the world hates them. And the disciples' problems are the same as us. You see, we are weak. Sometimes we feel like hypocrites. We want to tell people about Jesus, but we are not really reading about it. We're not really praying so we find it really hard to do it. And when we tell people about Jesus, when you manage to do that, the world hates us. They mock us. They threaten us. The disciples' problem is also our problem. We also need help. So that's our problem. And thank God for his solution in Jesus who submits. So Jesus prayed alone. Jesus and the disciples left the house where they, where they ate and they went to the Mount of Olives. So verse 40, this is what Luke says, On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you not fall into temptation. So they were to pray for themselves that they would not fall into the trap of abandoning Jesus. Then Jesus also went to pray. What did the disciples do? Disciples don't pray. So when the, Jesus comes back to them in verse 46, he has to come, down and, come to them and exasperatedly say, Hey, why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so you're not falling into temptation. Jesus couldn't count on the disciples to pray with him. So Jesus prayed alone. And what, did Jesus, and what did we learn in Jesus' prayer? We learned that Jesus submits. So verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now what is this cup? This cup is a picture of God's wrath. So the one who drinks this cup, metaphorically, drinks and receives uh, God's wrath. So for example, Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, Take from me my head, this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you, send you to drink it. So this cup is a picture of God's wrath. And God's wrath is on us for our rebellion against him. So you and I, we deserve to drink from the cup of God's wrath. God's justice demands that this cup be drunk. But God's will is for Jesus to take uh, our cup of wrath. So when Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus, is, Jesus dreads this cup. 
but he submits to God's will. And God didn't take this cup from Jesus. He drank the cup. Now, I know that some of the Bible studies, we have a few questions about this. A very, very important passage, very, very important verse, verse 42. So some of you may ask, why, why did Jesus not want the cup when he already knew he was going to suffer? And so Jesus has predicted his suffering and death a few times. So, uh, someone has counted actually six times through the book of Luke. So for example, in chapter 9, verse 22, if you turn, turn there with me, chapter 9, verse 22, uh, it's page 80 in this book. Yeah. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. So Jesus always knew that he was going to suffer, die, and rise. But for Jesus, at this, in chapter 22, very soon, this suffering was going to start, was going to become reality. Now, Jesus wasn't only dreading the physical suffering. You see, verse 42, he talks about the wrath. What Jesus dreaded most was this cup of wrath. That he would take God's judgment for us. You see, this, the Father and the Son have always been in closest, loving relationship uh, from before time until, until now and, and forever. But what, what's going to happen is that the righteous Son will receive God's wrath for sin. God's wrath that he did not deserve. But that's why he did not want to get this, that's why he did not, that's why he dreaded this cup. Next question, did the Father, Jesus and the Father want different things? Now, this passage sounds like Jesus didn't want to suffer God's wrath, but God acted like a tyrant and forced Jesus to take the cup. And what some people call, what some, some people say that this is cosmic child abuse and they reject Jesus' forgiving work on the cross. And what the Bible tells us is the Father and Son are always in perfect unity, in purpose. So in this case, the other, other gospel tells us that both the Father and the Son had planned and wants Jesus to go to the cross for sin. John chapter 10 is another gospel. This is what Jesus said. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, not only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father. Jesus lays down his life on his own accord. He dies willingly, but he doesn't enjoy it. And this is a command that he received from the Father. So someone has explained that in Luke chapter 22, what's going on is this. Jesus was caught between two proper desires. It was proper and good to want to avoid death, alienation, and wrath. But it's also proper and best to want to do God's will, whatever the cost. Jesus chose what was best. So the Father and the Son both want Jesus to go to the cross. Next question, why did Jesus take the cup? Now Jesus took the cup for us, so why did he do that? Why did he do that for us? Well, someone else has said, Jesus took our cup of wrath so that you and I, we can enjoy a cup of blessing. So in chapter 22, verse 20, this is what Jesus says. Verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
God's solution to our weakness in the world that hates us is this. That Jesus submits to the Father. Jesus submits to the Father and drank the cup of wrath, our cup of wrath, so that you and I who deserve that cup of wrath can drink the cup of the new covenant. Cup of forgiveness of sins. A cup where God forgives us for all our sins. A cup of a new relationship with God. Ray Ortland said in his book, At the cross, Jesus, uh, God didn't sweep our evil under the rug, but exposed it and paid for it. The cross shows us that God is serious about our sin, about our rebellion. So we cannot ignore our sin because someone else's sin is worse. No. And the cross also shows us that God is serious about us, so serious about us that God sent Jesus to take our cup of wrath so we can enjoy the cup of blessing. So we can have forgiveness. Now, how can we receive this uh, cup of blessing? We receive this cup of blessing by relying on Jesus uh, for forgiveness. For Jesus, rely, trust Jesus that Jesus took your place, uh, you took God's wrath in your place. Instead, God will forgive you of your sin, and you can have life. If you don't believe, God's wrath remains on you. Friends, Jesus drank the cup that you deserve so that you can have the blessings that Jesus deserves. Friends, will you believe in Jesus? So we're trying to, we're trying to look at uh, how to solve our problem, our, weak, our weakness in the world that hits us. So we see that God's solution is Jesus submitted to the Father. And now we'll see why this solution is for our good, why it is good for us. Our first reason is that there is light in the darkness. Okay. So from verse 47, uh, we see the power of darkness. In verse 47, one of Jesus' 12 close, close followers, Judas, leads a crowd against Jesus and betrays Jesus to the crowds. Then the disciples take out their two swords and draw first blood uh, with the servant's ear. Now, maybe the disciples expected Jesus to well, follow, follow up with fire from heaven to, to burn them all. Or maybe Jesus could send 12 legions of angels to protect him. But Jesus didn't fight back. Worse still, do you see what he did in verse 51? Verse 51, what did he do? He told his disciples to stop. Jesus touched his enemy and healed him. It's almost like Jesus wants to get arrested. Now this shows us that Jesus didn't mean for his disciples to use swords to defeat persecutors, to use force to defeat persecutors, to bring people into the kingdom. See, the disciples will face conflict from their listeners, but like Jesus, the disciples cannot win their opponents into a kingdom of God by conquest, by sword, or by force. Now, how do the disciples win, their, win Jesus' opponents, win the haters into Jesus' kingdom? Again, we'll see the answer later. But at this point, Jesus healed, the, healed his enemy, but he didn't forget who his enemy was. See, verse 52, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, 
Am I leading a rebellion that you come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Yes, the religious leaders were there. They opposed him in the temple. He got Judas to betray him. This is their hour, the hour that they are in charge. But Jesus says there's a power behind the religious leaders. The power of darkness. Now Jesus doesn't mean that that night was very dark, so that night the, the darkness was very powerful. No, Jesus means that the power behind the religious leaders was Satan. You see, verse, verse 3, is, in chapter 22, verse 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And then in verse 47, what, what, did, this, what did Judas this, Judas do? Judas led the crowd to Jesus and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Who's in charge? Looks like Satan's in charge. Looks like Jesus lost. And the other gospel says the other disciples all ran away. All disciples ran away. What power darkness seems to have. That Satan, the prince of darkness, can subdue, can arrest Jesus, the light of the world. Has Jesus lost? No. Because the power of darkness cannot overcome the power of God. There is light in darkness. The power of darkness is always under God's control. But you might ask, Nick, how can we see that in the passage? Well, we can look at it. We can see that in verse 42. See, in verse 42, Jesus said, Yet not my will, but yours be done. What's happening here? This is the Father's will. God is in control. As I said earlier, Jesus had predicted six times in the book of Luke that he would suffer and die. So let me look at another, another one. So in chapter 18, uh, verse 31 to 33, Jesus said, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going out to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Now, friends, it might seem that the Father's will and, the, and Satan's will converge for Jesus to be hung on the cross. It seems that the Father's will is Satan's will. But that is not the case. Remember, why did Jesus, why did God want Jesus to suffer and die? Because he wanted to give forgiveness. He wanted to bring forgiveness for his disciples. And why did, why did Satan want Jesus to suffer and die? In verse 31, the reason is to sift them, to cause them to separate from Jesus, cause them to fall away. That is why Satan wants Jesus' suffering and death. So the Father's will is not Satan's will. And the Father's will always trumps Satan's will. My friends, this is a great comfort for you and I today, that there is light in the darkness. The power of darkness is always under the power of God. Because if the power of darkness is always under the power of God, 
then God can use, can powerfully use what was meant for evil for good. In this case, God allowed Satan to hurt Jesus. But through Jesus' suffering, through his death, Jesus gives you and I life. Friends, sometimes we go through bad patches in life, dark times. Maybe difficult situations at home, at work, at school. Or maybe you might be facing serious health struggles where we find the power of darkness stronger than the power of God. Friends, Satan wants you, wants to use his power to cause you to stumble, to shake you, to separate you from Jesus. But what does God want? God wants to use this for your ultimate good, for you to become more like Jesus. Friends, don't give up on God. If you are in a dark situation like that, pray to God for help. Help to trust, trust that He is in control and ask God to use this to make you more like Jesus. There is light in the darkness. Secondly, it's for our good because there is forgiveness. Jesus' word is fulfilled. In verse 34, Jesus' word to Peter was that he would deny Jesus three times. And Peter did just that. Verse 56. A servant girl saw him, saw Peter sitting there in the firelight. She looked at him, she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. And what does Peter say? Verse 57. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. After a while, another person accused Peter. Verse 58. You also are one of them. And Peter says, Man, I am not. And a third man recognized Peter. He heard Peter's voice and recognized Peter's accent as from the north, as Galilean. And he insists that Peter was with Jesus. But Peter said in verse 60, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. When the rooster crowed in verse 61, Jesus was inside the house, was facing accusations from the, from the leaders, looked out the courtyard where Peter was and saw Peter. And Peter caught that glance. And Peter remembered Jesus' words. Peter denied Jesus just as he said, Jesus' word was fulfilled. In verse 62, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus was right. Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. My friends, do you know what else Jesus said in verse 32? Jesus also said, Peter will turn back. And Peter will strengthen his brothers. The brothers who left Jesus, Jesus' words will be fulfilled. Jesus always knew that Peter would need help. Yet Jesus chose Peter to help the disciples. So Jesus' look, Jesus' look is more than just to remind Peter of his sin. Jesus' look also reminds Peter of his forgiveness. 
There's this famous pastor in the past, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. I think, he said this about the look, I think it was a heart-piercing look and a heart-healing look all in one. A look which revealed to Peter the blackness of his sin and also the tenderness of his master's heart towards him. But how can Peter get help for himself? And how can Peter, who needs help, help other people? The answer is the same. To, to remind them that Jesus took the cup. Peter needs to remind the disciples that Jesus took his cup. And God can forgive him for denying Jesus. And if God can forgive him for denying Jesus, when the disciples, they trust in Jesus, when, they, when trust that Jesus took the cup from them, given a cup of blessing, Jesus, uh, Je- the disciples can be forgiven. There's forgiveness for deserting Jesus. And friends, it's the same for you and I today. See, how do we win people to Jesus? How do we do that even when you feel like hypocrites? When you feel weak? And how do we do that knowing that the world hates Jesus and because it hates Jesus, it will hate us? We don't do that by forcing people to believe. We don't do that by threatening them. We win people by telling them how they are the same as us. How we are all not good enough for God. How we all have this cup of wrath that we deserve to drink. But the difference is just that we have found a way out. We have found forgiveness. We found God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness through Jesus. And we want to show them how to find the same forgiveness too. Now some of you know that uh, last month I went to I went to Sydney and I'll be sharing with you some of, the, some of my stories. So this is one of the one of those stories. Now in my flight, uh, I was on flight there, I tried to save money by not booking my seat. So I was assigned a random seat. And I, I chatted with the person next to me about Jesus. It all started uh, very simply with me lending him a pen to fill out the immigration card, which we all can do. So bring your pen when you go up uh, an airplane. So we started chatting, and our conversation was about uh, the Bible characters that were also present in his religion, that he considers as prophets. So this man asked me, do you know Noah? I said, yes, I, yes, uh, he, I know him, but he, he was a drunk. And he asked me, do you know Lot? I said, yes, I know him, uh, but he had a shady past with his daughters. And he asked me, do you know Jonah? I said, yes, but Jonah got really angry with God. So this man that I was speaking to, he rejected Christianity. He said, in our chat, I've confirmed that our religions share the same characters, share the same prophets, Noah, Lot, Jonah. But how can a holy God use sinful people, use sinful prophets to speak his holy word? But this man will only accept his religion where God will only use holy people to teach. But really, if if that's the case, God has no one to use. I didn't persuade, I didn't manage to persuade him that day, but from my conversation, I realized that the glory of the cross is rubbish to the world. But God 
forgives us sinners so much that he can use us, sinners, forgiven sinners, struggling sinners, to reach other sinners. Because we, don't, we are not the ones who save them. We point them to Jesus, and Jesus saves them. Jesus used the forgiven Peter to preach forgiveness to the disciples. Jesus used the forgiven disciples to preach forgiveness to the world. And Jesus used the forgiven sinners, like you and I, to preach the gospel to those around us. We are approaching Good Friday, Easter, the Easter season. And you can join in God's work as a forgiven sinner by pointing them to Jesus. Or you can invite them for children's ministry, youth ministry, the Bible studies, and church over the next few weeks because that's what we'll be looking at. We're looking at what Jesus did on the cross and we look at how Jesus, what happened after Jesus died on the cross. So our problem is that we are weak, the world hates us. Our solution is Jesus who submits for our good, that there's light in the darkness and forgiveness for our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken your word, you've spoken to us from your word. May we rejoice in your words and obey them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, thank you, Nick, for uh, sharing the sermon with us. And uh, he's prepared two questions for us uh, for discussion. The first one is, why is it good news that Jesus submitted to the Father? The second one, how should the good news change us? Take about five minutes to um, discuss with a person next to you these two questions. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.